glad you're joining us today for RC Teacher Talk, a podcast focused on amplifying the educator's superpowers in Royce City ISD. Listen as Angela Arledge and Lisa Pogue chat with teachers. Welcome to the first May episode of RC Teacher Talk. May brings on more spring weather, or if you're in Texas, it can feel like summer occasionally. I'm Lisa Pogue here with my co-host Angela Arledge, and the big thing May brings for educators is winding up the school year. There's a lot to winding up the school year, but I want us to do a twist on our May question of the month. Angela, will you let our listeners know what our May question of the month is? Well, at April showers bring May flowers, and let me just tell you, we definitely need some May flowers in our lives because we all had a tough winter with lots of sickness going around, and it's just been been a crazy winter, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so looking forward to some nicer weather, longer days, um, sun not setting, you know, at five o'clock to where <laughs> you're exhausted and tired, but... Um, so May's question of the month is probably one of my favorites because there's a lot that, um, you know, you learn every day. So it is, what's one thing you wish you had known about teaching before you began your career? Um, and teaching is definitely on the job learning. Uh, a lot of people don't even graduate from college with a teaching degree. Lots of Altsart teachers yes. recently, for sure. Yes, and like for me, for instance, I graduated with a business degree and then went back and actually took some grad school hours, and that's how I became certified as a teacher. Um, so that's definitely an option, um, but, you know, you just, you're kind of just thrown into it, and you learn day to day. I mean, it's, it's, it's like every single year you look back and you have learned so much every week you look back every day every class period i mean it's just constantly a learning process definitely um but and so i'm just really interested in hearing what our guest has to say about what she wishes uh, she would have known um, before she started her career in education but we have a little twist to this question for us today so lisa what's our twist well, Angela, you've been the ILS for three years now, so I want to know not wish, what you wish you had started before you began your whole teaching career, but what did you wish you had known before becoming the Innovative Learning Specialist here at the high school? Well, one of the things that I really struggled with in the beginning is um, I followed up a legend. <laughs> the legend of Cody, Cody Holtz. Holt. <laughs> um, and pretty much whatever Cody Holt touches turns to gold. And he is fabulous at what he does um, and just does, puts in a lot of time and research into it. Um, and so he built Chrome Squad and the program and the role pretty much from scratch. Right. Um, and so it was hard for me uh, to tell myself, okay, I'm not him. I'm not as smart as him. <laughs> and um, it's okay to add my own personal twist and flair to the program. Um, and so that's what I wish. And I... glitter. You get to add glitter. <laughs> too, because Cody hates glitter. <laughs> so uh, that's what I wish that I would have known is, um, you know, just be bold and uh, take a little bit more control. 
Um, and I think that that applies to all teachers too, is, you know, you are stepping into a spot more than likely that was filled by a previous teacher. So don't be afraid to step out and try new things. Um, but another thing is, I really struggled with, um, there's so much to learn in this position and I'm oh, constantly yeah. learning something new every single day. And, um, if, you know, I, I work with the student interns, I, we're repairing Chromebooks, we're, you know, it's just, I can't even begin to tell you how <laughs> many things that we do in here. And then as well as uh, supporting teachers and providing professional development and stuff. And so at the beginning, it was very overwhelming. Um, I felt very inadequate a lot of times uh, because I didn't know the answer. I had Cody on speed dial. And um, so I think that I just would have liked to have told myself back then that the program didn't start as established as it is now. Right. You know, it, it, there was a foundation, there was a process of growth for the organization. Um, and so it's okay if I don't know everything, like it's, that will come with time. And, and I had to, you know, write things down because <laughs> Cody has that brain where he can just remember everything one time. I'm not that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, just, I just, I wish that I would have known that, um, just to not be overwhelmed and to take it day by day and that I'll be okay. Yeah, <laughs> it will be okay. Just yes. keep on trucking and do your best. Yes. Um, so what do you wish that you would have known before coming into this position? Because you were the first ever instructional design coach at Roy City High School. So what, what would you have told yourself or wished you had known? Well, the first one is kind of simple. Um, as a teacher, you know, we spend a lot of our own money on things. And so I had to get used to asking for money for things that I wanted either for me professionally, like a certain kind of book or a certain tool um, or, you know, even doing something for the teachers. And, you know, I was just buying stuff myself and then was told, no, you have a budget. And so that was uh, something that I wish, you know, someone had said from the beginning, you know, just to get used to spending other people's money because it's not easy uh, in education. Um, the second thing is I, you know, I was ready to do something different, but I didn't really realize how much this job fit my gifts as a person. So like to have known like, cause I was a little nervous coming in, but to know that this job was something that I could really do uh, just because of who I am and what my personality is. And so that it would flow easier, I guess, than I expected uh, for sure. I really wasn't prepared though to be in the position to create such a safe environment for teachers that they would cry in my office, <laughs> you know, like even teachers that you wouldn't expect to cry. Um, and of course that made me feel like, I remember the first time someone cried and this sounds so silly, but I realized, well, I must be doing something right, mm -hmm. you know, because remember in our summer training, they talked so much about building relationships. And um, so I thought I've accomplished that at least, yes. you know, if they're willing to let their guard down. Yes. Uh, so yes. that was definitely something that I didn't know would happen. Um, so that, and just it, along with that, how much 
this role is needed for teachers. Yes. You know, having uh, someone that's the their voice with admin or curriculum, having someone that they can talk to that's not attached to their evaluation, um, someone that's been there for a long time. Uh, you know, a lot of times now administrators, you know, they may not teach very long before they mm -hmm. become an administrator, but I was a lifer, you know, yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, 22 years in the classroom. So they know that I know what they're going through, even though things, you know, obviously I never went through COVID as a teacher, but, um, you know, they, it was just really needed. And mm -hmm. I didn't realize how much it was needed because we never had it. You know, we never had anyone to be that person. Um, you know, but one of the things that I really had no idea about, you know, I had an English one team here that we were a great team mm -hmm. and one probably one of the best teams that I ever worked with. And then the English department, we were like a family. So uh, I'm glad that you and I are such a good team. Yes. And I wish I would have known that before. I may, may not have been as quite as nervous as branching into something else because once we had that first training together, we just hit it off and just bounce ideas off each other. So it's great to have that, yeah. you know, I wish I would have known beforehand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny because uh, we roomed together. We didn't even really know each other. I mean, we knew of each other. We had, and we had talked, talked a few and times. Stuff and, but, you know, we roomed together in a room and um, I had just recently had a baby. So let's just put it this way. We got really close really fast. <laughs> But um, I think that that just shows the importance of, of, of a great team. And so if you're in a leadership role and position, um, taking that time to uh, do those team building things is well worth it. Um, because like you said, you know, you and your English one team, y'all were a family. And, and then I feel the same way about you. You know, we can rely on each other when each other, when we're out or, you know, whatever. And so building that foundation and building um, that team bonding is so very important. And something I'd add to that is being, uh, whether you're on a leadership team or on a, a uh, curriculum team, so like, you know, the whole English department or breaking it down to the English one team is know what each other's strengths are and you know how you can utilize everybody instead of trying to think that you can do it all or knowing like oh this is something you know this would be something that you know Angela would be good at like let me hear this or you know those kind of things like knowing what each other's strengths are makes a big difference yes in the team yes, absolutely so one of the great things about good teams is you can set those high expectations for each other. You know, you were talking about strengths and stuff and building on the uh, on different team members' strengths and just aiming high. And our guest today speaks a lot about that. Um, so let's not waste any more time and meet our guest speaker for today. Today we are here with Brittany Copeland. Uh, she is an elementary teacher here in Royce City ISD. So Brittany, um, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Brittany. I teach uh, fifth grade science at Davis Elementary. Um, I've been teaching science for seven years. Um, this is my seventh year and all but one of them have been in fifth grade. Um, and I've really learned um, over the years to just really love science. And so it's kind of um, a passion of mine. 
And um, I've been uh, just a little bit about my personal life. I've been married for four and a half years. Um, my husband and I, we have two dogs. They're both little beagles and we love them very much. And we're also just a little fun fact. Um, we are expecting our first child later this year. So we're really excited about that as well. That is very exciting. Yay. Lots of fun preparation (laughs) coming your way. (laughs) Yes. We're, we're very excited. Yay. That's, that's awesome. Well, one of the things that we have added to the podcast that we just really love is the question of the month. So this month's question is, what's one thing you wish you had known about teaching before you began your career? One thing that I have learned over the past several years that um, I didn't really... I can't say I didn't know to expect it, but it was just something that I think takes a few years in to kind of learn and to kind of experience is that um, students are capable of so much more than they are sometimes given credit for. Um, So like I mentioned earlier, I've been teaching fifth grade for six years. um, And I have over those six years, I've learned to like learn what I can expect from my students. And I try to set high expectations for them to reach toward. Um, But one thing that I learned, um, I taught third grade for one year, a few years ago, and um, I didn't know what to expect with going from a, an older grade to a little bit of a younger grade. Um, But one thing that I was just amazed at when I was teaching third grade was just how much those third graders can do. Um, I knew what to expect from fifth graders and I didn't know how much I could expect out of third graders, but they really um, exceeded my expectations. And I learned throughout the year that I could, you know, push them higher. And so that's just one thing that you kind of don't know until you get started. But if I was a first year teacher, I would have wanted someone to tell me ahead of time, like, don't be afraid to set high expectations and to expect um, a lot from your students because no matter the age, they will try and they can reach those expectations, even ones that you might not originally think that they are capable of given their age. That's so true. I think And it kind of goes with that self-fulfilling prophecy that, you know, kids will achieve what you believe they can achieve. So I I agree that's excellent advice um, for anyone new to the profession, for sure. Love that. Well, um, we are also asking, um, we always ask, the the whole reason we started the podcast was to give teachers the opportunity to share with our audience and with the community, you know, what teachers are really good at. And each individual teacher has their own, what we're calling our teacher superpower. So what do you feel like makes you stand out as an educator? Um, I think for me, it kind of goes along with one of the things I was the most worried about when I began teaching. And then I kind of learned over time and through experience that it's one of my strong suits, and that is um, that is classroom management. 
I remember when I was student teaching, um, I wrote this on college papers and talked to it, talked about it with my mentor teacher about how that was kind of one of the things I was the most nervous about, that I wouldn't know the right procedures to put in place and that I, you know, would kind of have a chaotic classroom and I just don't do well in (laughs) chaos. And so I was nervous that, you know, I wouldn't know how to handle certain things and that I wouldn't know how to prevent my classroom from being a chaotic setting. But um, I just learned little procedures that I can put in place over the years. Um, That kind of makes my classroom run really smoothly. Um, And it kind of goes along with the student expectations as well. Just setting high expectations um, of not just academic, but I set high behavioral expectations in my classroom. And the students really work to achieve those things. And another thing I like to do is like release as much control as I can. Um, Sometimes I think as teachers, we have similar personalities. We're kind of like that type A personality where we want everything to be perfect and we we have trouble sometimes releasing control to um, the students, but I've kind of learned over the years the areas that I'm okay with releasing control and that I'm okay with if it's not perfect, but it's, you know, the student work and they're proud of it. And so I um, have tried to find those areas over the years where I can just let them take responsibility and take ownership. And, you know, if things don't necessarily go the, the way that I was expecting or hoping, sometimes there's those areas for conversations with students about, um, you know, well, this was a choice that you made. And so these are the consequences that come from that choice and kind of um, giving students ownership in their choices and in their um, responsibility within the classroom. And I have found that that just um, makes for a kind of a well-oiled machine The kids know what they're supposed to do. They have procedures in place that kind of give them those boundaries. And then within those boundaries, they're able to thrive within the classroom. That is great. And um, I'm very curious, though, what are some of those um, things that you have in place where you do give your students a little bit more control and power? Um, One thing that might seem kind of um, silly, but it really does help the classroom kind of flow seamlessly and and we don't have to stop as much as, um, at the elementary level, um, you know, going to the bathroom is kind of a thing where, you know, sometimes teachers, you know, want you to ask and get permission, um, every time someone needs to go to the bathroom and that usually requires, us to have to stop what we're doing so I can, so someone can, you know, ask the question if they can use the restroom and then I have to give an answer. And that kind of just causes, you know, the discussions that are happening or the teaching that's going on to kind of have to pause so I can answer, answer that question. Um, So one thing that I um, have found helpful is at the beginning of the year, I set the expectations of when I am okay with students using the restroom and when it's time, you know, when they need to stay in class and listen. And so I have magnets up on my board 
and um, at the elementary level, we usually, you know, give each student a number within the classroom. And so my magnets on my board are numbered. And when it's an appropriate time during class, an appropriate time would be things like if they're working on independent work or they're working on group work, basically any time where I'm not giving instruction or um, giving directions of what we're doing in class. If I'm not talking to the whole class, then I um, allow them to use the restroom at their leisure and so they can move their magnet up to a designated spot on the board and that way I know who's out and who's, you know, not in the classroom and where they are and they're able to just kind of manage themselves and manage their time and use, you know, the restroom when they need to use it. And it cuts down on me having to stop in the middle of a lesson to answer that question as well so they know, okay, Mrs. Copeland is teaching, so it's time for me to just stay and listen, and and I can just wait a few minutes until we're moving on to something else, and it's appropriate time for me to leave the classroom. I love that, and we all know um, as educators that when one person goes to the bathroom, it tends to be a ripple effect. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So I like that, you know, that way you're not having those interruptions during your lesson. Um, and it's also allowing the student to have a little bit of, like you said, power and responsibility and make that judgment call themselves. So that's Mm -hmm. really great. Yes. I like that too. When I taught elementary school, I did Uh, something similar. There's so many um, cute ideas now that uh, we didn't have, but in fact, I think I had a chalkboard my first year teaching, so there were no (laughs) magnets, but um, the teacher that was there before me, she had these little can, you know, like a soup can, but she had one in pink and one in blue, and Mm -hmm. so if they, if those were there, that meant they could go to the bathroom and just like um, you were saying, Brittany, that we taught them, I mean, and these were first graders, like you know, when was appropriate, when not to, and then they just took the can and put it on their desk. So that way you knew who right. was gone. And I, when I asked her, I was like, what's the deal with these cans? And she explained it to me. I also implemented something and it really did take a lot of, like you said, you know, a lot of interruptions away. And then you didn't have to take the time to take the whole class to the bathroom and go through right. all that and, you mm-hmm. know, waste time. So little procedures like that and letting go of some of those things are, great ideas. And this, if they, you know, lose the privilege, then they don't get to do that. If they can't, if they can't exactly. for a while. Exactly. And that's actually, it's actually an idea I got from um, my mentor teacher when I was student teaching in second grade. Um, I've tweaked it a little bit to kind of make it more appropriate for a fifth grade classroom. And also Um, When I was student teaching in second grade, we were self-contained, but I'm departmentalized in fifth grade. So I had to kind of make it to where I could use one set of magnets for every class that I rotated through throughout the day. Um, But yeah, it just, I've seen it work for many grade levels. I use this same idea even when I taught third grade you know, each year you've got to change a few things depending on the age level. And I've seen it kind of work in many different um, grade levels, but it's something that I think the fifth graders appreciate being able to kind of um, have that self-regulation and and not having to ask every time. 
but also, you know, if we start to abuse the privilege and, you know, we're playing around in the bathroom and we're not supposed to, or we're, you know, we're going when we're not supposed to, you know, then those privileges get revoked until, you know, until they can prove that they can handle it again. So it's something that is easy to kind of, to kind of help classroom management. I will say that I tried to set up something similar with my freshmen at the high school and they could not handle it. <laughs> I don't know if it's so, if they're just so much into the social aspect of it and, you know, meeting their friends or doing things that they shouldn't do. I don't know if it's the hormones. I'm not sure, but it's like they would be gone forever. And so uh, I had to develop a different system for restaurant. Yeah, I'm wondering, yeah. like, as you were talking, I was thinking in my head, like, how that could translate to high school. And I don't know, maybe something like a QR code mm-hmm. that's to a Google form or something like that. Um, because like you said, it is a social, there's so, socializing in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, so. well, and even, yeah. Or, or it may not even be in the bathroom. It might be the, the library or, or yeah. you know, I've had a kid. You know, one time they were supposed to be in the bathroom, but they're down in the library talking to the girlfriend or, you know, on a date in the library. (laughs) (laughs) So, or, or they're supposed to go to the bathroom, but they go to the vending machine, you know, they're just, I think they're at that age where they want to be independent. You know, they're transitioning into young adults and you know, I always said that the freshmen were a lot like fourth graders. They were just bigger and had hormones. And I think the hormones and social aspect of it really, really overtakes the already not developed prefrontal cortex. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Well, those are some really, really great ideas. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, You've already given us a lot of great advice already, um, but what advice would you give um, just any of your fellow educators? If somebody came to you and said, Brittany, what what advice would you give me as a teacher? What would you tell them? Um, I think if we're, you know, if we're talking academic advice for educators, I would definitely um, like one of my main things is to set those high expectations Um, and one piece of advice along that line that I would give is that in order to see the students achieve those high expectations, you have to be consistent. Um, so not just consistent in setting high expectations, but consistent in your enforcement of those expectations and consistent in the consequences when they don't follow your expectations the way that you've laid them forth. Um, and I think that's one of the keys is just staying consistent with enforcing it um, in order to, you know, just see those, see the students really thrive um, and meet those high expectations and also ex- exceed them. Um, and then, you know, it's time to up the ante and, and set those expectations higher when they're, when they're working so hard and they're able to reach those, those heights. Yeah. So hearing just the way that you have answered each of the questions and hearing you speak, it sounds like you have a lot of really great ideas in regards to classroom management. 
Is there something specific that you would like to share with our listeners that has been successful in your classroom um, relating to classroom management? Um, hmm. I know we're kind of going off topic here, but it just sounds (laughs) like, you know, just the way that you're speaking about, you know, setting those high expectations and holding them to those expectations. Like, how do you go about doing that? I think one of the main things is giving the students um, the expectations and the rules, or if we're talking about an assignment you know, giving them, let's say, a rubric ahead of time. That's something I use a lot academically. Um, I give them a rubric ahead of time at the very beginning of a project, let's say, so they know exactly how I'm going to be grading them and exactly what I'm expecting out of their um, their project or their final product. Um, and so I'm, it's not a look at this example and copy it and that's the only way to get a hundred. It's take this rubric, know what I'm looking for, and then it's your choice if you decide not to include all the things that I'm looking for, then that's gonna affect your grade. But you know, they know that ahead of time. And so the the responsibility is kind of put back on the student and saying, you know, I gave you all the expectations ahead of time. I gave you this rubric. This is exactly how I'm going to grade the assignment. And so it's your choice. Your grade is your responsibility. And so here's how to get the best grade you can get. And here's, you know, the grade you're going to get if these things, if these expectations or these um, standards for the project, project aren't fulfilled. And so I think just giving them all of that information ahead of time. And I have to constantly remind my students throughout the project, you know, don't forget to look at the rubric, you know, make sure that you are including everything that needs to be included in order to get the best grade that you can get. Um, And then that kind of puts the, puts it back on the students and puts it, you know, in their hands and their responsibility for their, for their learning. Yeah, that's good. Rubrics are a game changer. Yes, rubrics (laughs) are a game changer. And so from having taught elementary, I can tell if you have a very well-run classroom that you spent a lot of time uh, teaching the students what your expectations were and Mm -hmm. probably practicing. About how long would you say it takes the students to really get it down to where you would like it to be? Um... In fifth grade, they can pick it up a little bit quicker. So I would say probably the first nine weeks is really the most um, or the the time period where I'm having to repeat myself the most often, where I'm having to constantly remind them of the expectations and constantly remind them of the procedures. And then really by the second nine weeks, they've kind of got our routines down and they know the expectations when it comes to assignments and things to where we're kind of, you know, plugging along and we can get through things a little bit faster because I'm not having to stop as much or repeat myself as often. Um, When I taught third grade, it took about a semester. I would say by the time we came back from Christmas break, that's when really we could just, you know, 
move ahead and we weren't having to um, stop as many times to remind ourselves of the expectations or or things like that. Um, but I'd say in fifth grade, probably about the first nine weeks is when is, you know, we're working um, harder to remember those procedures and those expectations. So listeners, if you're hearing this and listen to what she's saying, don't give up. Just right, keep yeah, going. Yes. Keep up with those expectations. Keep pushing them because it does take time and practice. So mm-hmm. and it, that doesn't matter what grade that you teach. You have to be very clear what the expectations are. Be sure that you practice them, model them, repeat them a lot, even, you know, at the beginning, especially mm-hmm. even with the high school kids, because, and especially I think when they start to rotate classes, which you said that y'all, you know, happens at fifth grade, but you know, each teacher has different expectations as far as, you know, procedures and, you know, what makes the classroom tick. And so I've kind of given the example to some new teachers who are frustrated with behavior. I'm like, and, you know, I shouldn't have to always tell them they should just know they're, you know, they're 15, they're 14, they know what to do. And I said, but, you know, think about it. This is the analogy I gave them. What if, you know, for seven different hours of the day, you had a different spouse you know, that would be hard because you're going to get used to what, you know, what they want, what their communication style is like, you know, what's their uh, love language. And and that's hard. So we have Mm -hmm. to, it's still important at the high school level to take that time and not feel like you're never going to get it. If you're having to repeat those expectations, it does take time. So that's excellent. Definitely advice. And, um, I like that you, you were honest with about how long it takes. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't glamorize that. So that's wonderful. Uh, we heard you talk about, you know, projects with your students and rubrics. So, Mm -hmm. um, that kind of leads into the next question. Um, what is your go-to technology tool? For me, definitely Google slides. Um, I love how they can be interactive. I love how students can collaborate together to create um, a final product. I've done projects where they had to work with a team and come up with a slide presentation to give the rest of the class information about a specific landform that they had researched together. Um, And so, you know, I share my template, what I did for that project was I shared a template in Google Classroom um, of exactly, you know, I included the bare minimum number of slides and I put as like a heading on each slide what needed to be on that slide. And all that information was also in our project, um, like information that I gave them and on the rubric, but just as a kind of a reminder I put what was required on each slide, and then I told them, you know, if you want to add slides to give more information or you, you know, add pictures to the slides, you know, I kind of gave them a blank canvas and let them be creative. But, you know, they were all working on the same Google slideshow. Um, They had to share it with each other so they could all work simultaneously on the same slide deck. Um, and they really produced some awesome work, some very creative um, and beautiful projects. And it was, you know, they're all sitting 
on their computers and they're talking to each other and like, okay, you do this side and I'm going to do this side and you add a picture on that side. And, you know, they're just working together and they're able to come up with one final product and, you know, collaborate together to create it. And they're not relying on one person to like, okay, well, you know, telling each other or telling that person who's kind of like the navigator on the computer what to add or what to do. They can kind of take ownership of their slides and, you know, help each other out and fix spelling mistakes and things like that and just kind of work together on those slides. Um, So I love Google Slides. And I like to also um, kind of, uh, I want to say hyperdoc, but I know that's a usually on a, a document, but I kind of use Google Slides in a similar way where they can kind of navigate themselves through, um, and this is kind of how I use it as like independent work, where I give them an assignment and each slide is kind of a new task or a new part of the assignment. And I can include links and pictures and they can, you know, type a response. If I, you know, put a question and leave a text box, then they can type their response. And then I have an assignment from each student. So there's so many ways that you can use Google Slides and and it's like my go-to Google product for sure. Yeah. Google Slides is very, very versatile. So, and I love that you talked about using Google Slides as um a collaboration piece. Um, and you also talked about like having your students share it with each other rather than mm-hmm. you being the one that does all the, you know, behind the scenes work. I think that is, has a lot to do with like that student agency. It's, mm-hmm. it's teaching them like the behind the scenes stuff too, rather than just how to add stuff, information and how to work the Google slides document. Like, I mean, right. there's, there's so much more to it. And so just having them do more of the work is really important. Yes. <laughs> Saves yes. you a lot of time too. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, you know, I I explain it usually at the beginning of the year, like I was saying, you know, those first nine weeks where I'm having to do a lot more um, explaining. But once they do it, usually one time, I mean, with, you know, kids these days, they're just so good with technology. You show them how to do something one time and then tomorrow they know more than you do about how to do stuff. And, you know, I've asked students in the past, like, can you help me figure out how to do this on the computer? And they're like, oh yeah, you know, and two clicks and it's done. And I've been working on it for 10 minutes and can't figure it out. But, um, you know, in that first, in the beginning part of the year, I'm, I'm having to show them more how to do it. And then by the end of the year, it just, you know, I can simply say, share this with your group members and they do it and they get to work. And so it really, um, they're awesome with that and it can cut down on a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And HyperDocs absolutely can be slides. Angela and I will almost always, when someone comes in, and they ask us how to create something where we almost always direct them to slides because it's so yes. much more flexible than yes. Is. <laughs> Definitely. Yes. 
Well, Brittany, you've already talked about how you've, um, you know, utilized your mentor teacher at the very beginning. And um, it sounds like you have some really awesome ideas. Sounds like you beg, borrow and steal from others around you. Great yeah. ideas. Um, but where do you go to to reach out for those new ideas? Um, usually it will just, you know, it'll be things that a colleague has mentioned to me in the past or you know, current colleagues will be talking about something and they'll mention an idea and that kind of sparks an idea that I have and I come up with something. Um, but I also love to just like Google it. Um, I'm not really big on like Pinterest or social media stuff, but um, if, I, if I'm curious about something, there's pretty much always something. If I Google it and I click images, I can find something that I like and go to that link and get the idea. And so I just, I just kind of Google it. And <laughs> what would we do without the Google? I know. <laughs> it's I know. People ask Angela and I questions. A lot of times that's what we do is Google it. <laughs> you know, uh -huh. we, don't, we don't know all the answers, but we know where to find it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You can pretty much find anything you can find, you know, videos on how to do just about anything and kind of walk you through the step-by-step -step process to figure out what you're trying to figure out. So, yes, for sure. Well, we have really enjoyed um, listening to all your great ideas and we realize that education is such a hard job because we, you know, put so much into our students and we can definitely tell that you do that. So Brittany, what do you do to take care of you? Um, this is also something that I'm pretty, um, passionate about and advice that I've given to new teachers and to, um, college students that have come and observed in my classroom and stuff. And that is, I do my very best to, when I'm at work, I work. And when I go home, I am home and I'm able to focus on my husband, my family, my friends, um, and just kind of take my mind off of work and get, make sure that I have that separation. So I, um, as a general rule, I usually don't take work home. So if I need to work on it, I'll stay up at the school and I'll get it done. And when I go home, I can just be home and I can focus on that and, um, and just really kind of use my time at work to get that done. And then as a, a very, I would say, like steadfast rule, this is something that I pretty much never stray from. And that is um, my husband and I, we do not work on Saturdays. Um, we, that is a rule that we have kind of, that we have come to together. We make sure that on Saturdays we're spending time together. We're spending time with friends and family and we do not open our emails. We do not work on schoolwork on Saturdays. Um, and we just take that time to really be intentional with each other and with our families and friends and um, make sure that we take that time for ourselves. And, you know, we don't let ourselves, we try not to let ourselves get um, overwhelmed with work and, you know, bringing it home so that when you're home, you're working. And we kind of try to make that separation. That's excellent advice. That's excellent way to separate, you know, work from your family life and put your family life 
first. That'll definitely um, be good for you once you have that baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, and it makes you be a better teacher uh, because your your cup is full when you're coming to school. So, yes. you know, rather than being drained from a long weekend of work at home. So, yes. The yeah. weekends are definitely a respite, just a time to to relax and take my mind off of the day-to-day grind and have fun, relax, take a nap, do a hobby, you know, just something that really just, yeah, like you said, fills fills my cup so that when I come back on Monday, I'm ready to hit the ground running. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, Brittany, you have been wonderful during this interview. We have enjoyed it. You've given us some really great ideas. Um, so if any of our listeners want to reach out to you, uh, how would they go about doing that? Um, my email is uh, my RCISD email, um, Brittany.copeland at RCISD.org. Um, I don't really have, like I mentioned, a ton of social media. Um I am on Facebook just personally, so if you wanted to find me there, that's one way. But other than that, I, I'm kind of social media free, but um, email or Facebook is fine. <laughs> and you're, you're, the spelling of your first name is a little different. So will you spell that for our sure. listeners, please? Um, it's B-R-I-T-N-I-E. Awesome. Brittany.copeland. Well, thank you so much for your time and we hope you have a wonderful evening. Thank you so much for having me. We look forward to hearing about your announcement of the arrival of your baby. Thank you. (laughs) Angela, where can our guests find you in the Chrome Squad on social media? You can find us on Twitter at Chrome underscore squad and also at our website, www.connected.com forlearning.org. And where can our listeners find you, Lisa? Well, I post out on Twitter, everything school related at RCHS underscore Pogue, P-O-G-U-E. And we are also have a hashtag this year for our teachers. So it's hashtag team RCHS. You can use that and hopefully find some neat things that are going on here at Roy City High School. Thanks for tuning in to RC Teacher Talk a podcast for and about real teachers in the trenches, hosted by Angela and Lisa, the learning technologies team at Roy City High School. If you're enjoying this podcast, subscribe, rate, and review us. Make sure to say nice things. Go Bulldogs!